You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Your program is your ticket. We about to kick it. We about to flip it. Birth, you already. Heard we the word you about this word because we best on the earth. Uh, coming in funny like I was Chelsea Handler, but no, but someone I like more, Sean Chandler. Curtain up theater people, and welcome to your program is your ticket coming to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, Your Program is Your Ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to the theater and smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of my husband and my play, At the Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest is multifaceted theater superstar, Michael Bradley Block. Michael is an award-winning playwright, as well as the creator of Theater in the Now, which features theater reviews, a dynamite blog, and wonderful artist profiles. Michael is easily one of the hardest-working artists in the community, and I can't wait to bring him on. I'm telling you, he is he works his butt off. His schedule would totally flat me, and I've said that a few times on this show. Um, now, before I bring on this theater dynamo... I like to do a little follow-up on a point I brought up on my show with hip-hop improv team North Coast NYC, and that was my last show. We were discussing how North Coast was changing the way improv was being presented by bringing a hip-hop storytelling element to it, and I told them that I thought it was a great game-changer and that we needed such movements to move us forward from what I refer to as the quote-unquote war horses, the older shows that regional theaters are doing or were doing or maybe doing, or maybe not doing. Now, not to take away anything from my observations of North Coast NYC, they are absolutely changing the face of improv in a multitude of ways, which actually changes the face of theater in in certain ways. But in hindsight, I thought I might be somewhat uninformed about the shows regional theaters were doing. So I thought I'd do a little research on the most produced plays and musicals, and this is what I learned, and it was an eye-opening experience. So, this is from the americantheater.org website. Now, here are the top 10. Actually, there are 12, due to two shows tying, produced shows of the 2016 and 17 season. Um, the number one produced show was Hand to God at 13 productions, then Constellations by Nick, Nick Payne at 10 productions, tying with Disgraced by Ayad Akhtar, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, at 10 Productions, and then the musical Million Dollar Quartet by Floyd Muttrix and Colin Escott at 10 Productions, The Christians, which I loved, by Lucas Nath, 8th Productions, Peter and the Starcatcher, adapted by Rick Elise from Dave Barry and Ridley Peterson, 8 Productions, The Legend of Georgia McBride, I've never seen that, but I really, I've, I've heard good things about it, I want to see it, by Matthew Lopez, 7 Productions, Sex with Strangers by Laura Eason, Seven Productions. Intimate Apparel by Lynn Nottage. I love Lynn Nottage at Six Productions. King Charles III, Love That Play by Mark, Mike Bartlett at Six Productions. Then A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry, Six Productions. Sister Act with Book by Bill and Cherie Stein-Kellner. Music by Alan Menken. Lyrics by Glenn Slater, Six Productions. Okay, so those are the top 10, 12 shows because two of them tied. Now, I have to say that this does not include holiday shows and Shakespeare plays. 
If it did, then that would kind of uh, skew that a little bit. Of those, the top four are Christmas Carol by Dickens, all adaptations at 41 Productions. The Santa Land Diaries, adapted by Joe Mantello from David Sedaris, nine productions, A Midsummer Night's Dreams, A Midsummer Night's Dream by You Know Who, Mr. William Shakespeare, six productions, and also Twelfth Night by Shakespeare, um, six productions as well. So I was a bit short-sighted about my comments. Um, I know that our wonderful regional theaters are still producing the oldies, or as I call them, the war horses, Oklahoma, South Pacific, My Fair Lady, etc., but they are definitely making strides in moving theater forward on a regional level with new works like Hand of God, Disgraced, and Million Dollar Quartet. Now, sometimes we live in a bit of a bubble here in New York, and I'm definitely glad when I have my mind expanded and enlightened by taking off the blinders and looking at the rest of the theater world, which is really the main purpose of my show. So, I apologize if I misspoke. Uh, You are making great strides. So, congratulations to all of our regional theaters for making these great strides and bringing new and innovative theater works to all areas. There you go. So, again, I apologize, and... And um, I can admit when I'm wrong, and great job, you guys. Now, to bring on our guest. Folks, please welcome to the show one of the most talented and hardworking artists in theater, Michael Bradley Block. Hi, Michael, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, I remember I met Michael because uh, we were working together in 2016 with the New York Fringe Festival, and um, you had your play, the Illusory Adventures of a Dreamer, which is a, it's it's a, how would I say, uh, it's it's a modern version of Pure Ghent. Yes. With a gay angle to yeah, it. Yeah, it, definitely inspired by Ibsen, um, using the modern sexuality as the lens into this world. Okay, great. Yeah. And what made how'd you come up with that idea? I love Ibsen more than most other older writers of that generation. Um, and I was intrigued by what Pure Gint was. I had seen a production of it and I was like, this is fascinating. And I was like, I can do something with it. Um, and I was going through my own identity crisis at that time. So I was like, this is a perfect story to explore um, about this man's journey to find who he is. And I was like, well, sexuality in today's age is a perfect way into Pure Gin, and let's see what happens. And I think it turned out pretty damn well. I do too. I saw it, and I thought it was terrific. And um, I, I do want to mention that while you were doing this play in in French, which is a, in my opinion, a marathon in itself. Absolutely. Um, you were also you were working with a a cast of eleven people. I think Correct. I counted. And I <laughs> here's where I knew you were a genius, <laughs> and you may remember this, but it, when you do these these shows in in French, it usually takes place. I think it's in August, July or August. Yes. And it's it's warm. Some of the theaters are warm, and we went into your theater, and it was it was it was a little bit warm. And you had taken your your postcards because we get postcards made for marketing, and you had fanned three of them out and put them on a popsicle stick and handed them out to people who walked in the theater. And I was like, that is fucking genius right there. Yeah, I I can't say that I came up with the idea myself. I did see someone in the past do it, and I was like, I have to, I have all these extra postcards. I still have a thousand in my apartment because we didn't hand them all out. But I was like, I have all these extra postcards, and I know that I sweat my ass off during a show, so let's make other people not sweat as much. Oh, it was... I mean, it was great marketing. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm like, wow, that's that's awesome. So you you were doing your show, which had 11 people in it, and um, you did five performances? Correct. Okay. And on top of that, you were going to other people... I remember running into you after a show, and you're like, well, after this, I have to go see two other shows, and then I have three reviews to write. Yes. And I was like, oh, my God, after this, I'm going home, and I'm going to lay flat on my back. Yeah, I mean, I I still have to make money. um, Sure. Because we all know that Fringe is not going to recoup our investment in a show, but 
Um, I was able to, through Theater in the Now, uh, see, I think, 41 shows this summer um, that I had my own show in it, which is killer. So that was 41 shows to see and then write about and then do my own show. Wow. But I took, like, the days I had my own show, I took off and didn't see anything else that day. So there were five days I didn't see out of the 16. Wow. Now, now that was for Fringe last year, That was right? Fringe last year. Okay. And um, the show won an award. It won an acting award. Yes, we um, were very happy that Taylor Turner, who was our lead, who played Pierre, uh, won an Excellence in Acting Award because, yeah, that was a, it's a marathon role. Oh, my God, totally. And, and it's, it's a fantastical kind of journey that that Absolutely. character goes through. And um, he was... I remember telling David when we saw it that he always looked surprised. You know, there was never any um, anticipation of what was going to happen. He was always very much in the moment. Yeah, he's very much a naturalistic actor thrown into this fantastical world. So seeing the two of them combined really um, empowered his performance and really helped this play to be something grand, like this big production of Pierre Gant that it was. Oh, it was great. It was, it was, uh, it had great themes. It was funny. Um, it was a little body, mm-hmm. which was a little bit, a little a, bit, a little bit. Yeah. No, no, nothing to sex sells. And I'm very well aware of that. Um, <laughs> I mean, having been around the fringe festival for, with my website for as long as I have, sure. I knew that, um, for us to get any traction early on before the festival began, we had to um, have photos for an audience to see. So um, the first day of our rehearsal process, we did a photo shoot with the incredible Michael Kushner. Um, we had all these incredible promo stills. Um, it got us on a couple, uh, I think it was Gay News, um, had us on the cover. Um, it was blasted all over the place. And yeah, they were raunchy sexy gay pictures and everyone took a liking to it and we had a lot of people come because of our photos that's that's terrific now um i remember saying to david it feels like because there were there were 200 shows it feels like the main goal in fringe is to surface absolutely is to to be one of the 25 30 shows that that actually uh, are buzzy. Absolutely. And um, it, that re- that requires a lot of work, um, some money, mm-hmm. um, and you know, focus on marketing and just just constantly hitting it. And, and a lot of favors. A lot of favors. A lot, yeah. A lot of favors. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, so it, and and I think that's determined by you know the performances you sell out and if you get an award. Sure. Um, if you uh, um, uh, like uh, things like if, if you're published like in indie theater now so we were fortunate enough to have surfaced and um, uh, you were a part of that because you gave us a great review thank you very much absolutely appreciated that that was really really cool um, now I want to say that I kind of made a fool out of myself after the show because there is uh, in, an actress, or there was an actress in Illusory Adventures of a Dreamer named Molly Kelleher. Keller, yeah. Keller? Okay, is that how you pronounce it? She looks just like my sister. <laughs> and I, like, totally went up, and I was like, oh, my God, you look so much like my sister. I just wanted to, to mention that. Yeah, she's wonderful. Oh, my God, she was, well, everybody was terrific. They really, really were. And there were people who were playing, like, multiple roles. Oh, yeah, I'm, basically the majority of the cast played multiple characters. Because if you know anything about Pierre Gint, there are scene upon scene upon scene, and all these he meets all these people through his journey, um, and yeah, I can't have a cast of forty, so right. we gotta we gotta even eleven is a lot for theater nowadays, but we made it work. Totally, totally, and it felt like everyone was completely dedicated and committed, yep. and you could feel the uh, the, the the familial uh, atmosphere. As you know, because we afterwards we went outside to the gathering area, and your whole cast was out there taking pictures. That's lovely. That's really great. I do miss the show. Um, it was a really great experience. One day I'll get to do it again. I'm sure. Oh, you will. Absolutely. Totally. 
Um, now, you also this year did had a great, terrific musical um, in Nymph, the New York Musical Festival, called the Gory All Girl String Band. I saw it. I thought it was terrific. Thank you. It was really, really good. Tell us about it. Uh, so it is inspired by the true story um, of a group of inmates in the 1930s and 40s in Texas who decide to form a band in order to go on a Texas-based prison show in order to gain attention from the governor to get pardoned. And it's the true story. Spoiler alert. They all get pardoned. They all disappear. <laughs> I was so glad when that happened at the end. Now, these are female inmates. Correct. And um, what made you come... How did you come up with the idea? I literally was on the app Stumble Upon one late night, and I stumbled upon a Wikipedia article about this story, and I needed to know more. And the more I learned, the more I realized this is a story that not only needs to be told, it belongs on the stage. Wow. Um, and country music is such an important part of America that we don't really give it enough attention in musical theater. So I thought, country music, musical theater, women playing instruments, let's do it. Let's see what happens. It's That is totally, like, a right formula for, uh, I mean, it, and, and it was just so wonderful. It had great uh, themes of, of um, female empowerment and uh, uh, of of love and um, of, of how music heals and music transports. And um, it's, it's, it's just such a terrific show. And I really, really want it to have a long life. I really do. Um, Maybe one day it will. We'll see. And you guys got the, the 2017 USA Kevin Spacey Foundation Award? Correct. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Tell me about that. Um, it, so in our attempts to fundraise, we've um, found this uh, opportunity and we applied. We had to give a 10-minute um, presentation of sorts where we had to present our opening number and um, have a panel of member, jury members basically ask us questions. Um, and we did it and we got it and... We're very thankful for it. <laughs> nice, that's that's terrific. Um, and w were you nervous when you guys were doing? That? Oh, absolutely. Oh. I was terrified. Like, I think my knee was shaking. I, it, it was basically like a firing squad of questions, and like, because you have no idea what they're going to ask and how they're going to approach it, what they're thinking, and it was very stressful. But I mean, I, I spent a good week after being like, nope, we didn't get it. I blew it. It's fine. Moving on. But I was very, very grateful that it happened. That's incredible. Yeah, you always kind of like in your mind set yourself up to not get it. Yes. Yes. All the time. <laughs> I often tell people that like my favorite like video phone game to play is solitaire because it teaches me how to lose. Yes. <laughs> and I, I also say my my, um, uh, I also say you win some and you lose most. I don't know. I think as writers, we just we just don't have much of an ego, right? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely just, not. I can't afford. It. I, can't, I get too. I get too upset. <laughs> um, great. Now, tell uh, tell our listeners about uh, theater in the now. So, theater in the now is something I started now six years ago. Wow. Um, I was bored while working on a show in Vermont. I was like, I'm going to start a theater blog, and it's going to be like Perez Hilton, and it's going to be fabulous. That lasted two weeks. I was not going to draw uh, dick pics on people's pictures. Was, <laughs> that was not something I was interested in. Uh, so I decided to um, reach out to friends who were working on a show um, and be like, I'll interview you to help you get a little more publicity. And I did, and then another friend was like, I'm doing a Fringe show, this is back in 2011, and he's like, would you review it? At that time, I had maybe written like one or two reviews for a college class where I didn't think that was ever going to be a thing I'd ever do again. So I was like, I can write you a review, it's not going to be great, but sure. Um, he 
gave me the name of his publicist, Emily Owens, and she added me to her press list. And then I was nice added lady. to another press list, yeah. and then another press list. And now I'm a Drama Desk member. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's it has been a fascinating, crazy, fast six years with Theater in the Now. Um, I've interviewed a lot of people. I couldn't even give you a number at this point. Right. I've reviewed far too many shows, um, but it's been amazing because I've gotten to meet some incredible artists in this city. It's funny how it snowballs. Yes. How it just sort of evolves. You put it out there, mm-hmm. and you know, and and what you find is that uh, artists like to talk about theater. Absolutely, and they, like I, so the um, centerpiece of the website is the Spotlight On series, which is basically give or take one or two questions, the same exact questions I ask every single person since 2011. Wow. And it all begins with why theater. Why theater, exactly. And I, besides the answer of why not, I've never gotten the same answer. That's terrific. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. And and I I think I, you also do, you do your theater reviews, and I believe in um, the research that I did, as of last year, you had done something like 500... Review? Are you seeing five hundred shows? I, yeah, it's been it's almost probably up to six fifty at this point. Oh my god! It's crazy. It's really out of control. How, like, how many times a week do you go to the theater? Um, well, this summer's been a little different because of the sh- musical, but I would go to see. Anywhere from three to six shows a week. Oh my gosh! Wow. Um, yeah, it's it, it's a lot, and it's exciting to be a theater artist as well because you get to see things that work, what don't work, things you want to do, people you want to work with, people you don't want to work with. Sure. Um, so it's really a blessing that I've been given this opportunity to do what I do. Now, I I had read that uh, being a critic has helped you to it's sort of been like a master class to you in what works for, for your own particular Absolutely. writing um, how so um, it's inspired me in ways of like I like that style or I like those themes I want to be like that kind of writer or really it's been a way to try new things and see that there are opportunities in other ways of storytelling that Mm -hmm. I never would have thought of and I if you asked me when I first started writing would I ever want to write a immersive piece I would have said absolutely not never ever ever and I just took a class with the incredible Leah Nanako Winkler and I wrote an immersive play and it's been something that like we I still have to do a reading of it there's a lot of steps before that happens but I don't think I would ever have dared to do that had I not been a critic and have seen as many immersive shows as I have Hmm. wow Um, do you find that being a critic also helps you when you get your own reviews for your own pieces yes and no um, I understand where people come from when they get a bad review and I have more sympathy. Um, but I also, for me, it's, it, it, everyone doesn't like getting criticism. It's, it's hard. Um, but I also understand that there are some critics who have to tell a story within their criticism and it's not necessarily a jab at you. It's their storytelling. Right, right. Um, I've been asked to to do reviews every now and then. And one of the things that it helps me with is 
occasionally when we know we have a really good show, uh, we get a review that is like 95% terrific. And then there's that one little thing. And then, of course, we as artists will focus on that. Absolutely. But, but if you have written a review, you realize that you're there to review the work. And right. you have, there, there has to be things that, that a show can work on, particularly if it's like at a festival level or an Absolutely. off or off Broadway level. So it really helps you to realize that's a great review. Yeah. You know, of course the review, the, any reviewer who is writing all great reviews is considered to be a suck up. I completely agree. And with show score, you now see who those people are. Um, and not to put anybody on blast, but like when I go and review a show, I take maybe two to three sentences on synopsis plot summary. Sure. Unless it's important to what I'm trying to get across, I'd rather talk about what I've seen, what I experienced, how things are working, what's not working, how the design elements are working, how the actors are, rather than talk about what the play was about. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go see the show, you're going to go see the show and know what it's about. You don't need me to spend 800 words telling you this happened and this happened and this happened. And there are a lot of critics and there are a couple websites that do that. I absolutely will not do that. Yeah, that's that's good because, um, <clears throat> well, the synopsis is, is typically on the website. Absolutely. And you don't need to repeat all that information. Um, maybe as you get to the bigger, like if you're reviewing for the Times or something like that, you're reviewing for people who aren't necessarily complete theater lovers or theater goers and they want a little more information about about the show who knows but i appreciate your your Thank you. your way of reviewing I, I i really enjoyed the review and and you did uh make a suggestion to us that other people had made on the show which is which is to trim it a little bit and um that's what i look for in a review as a writer i'm always looking for the the theme so now when when I get a bad review, I don't know about you, but when I get a bad review and I've gotten them, um, I have a two day pity party rule, where I will let myself lay around and mope and 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 cry to David and uh, eat whatever I want and watch crappy TV for two days. After that, it's like back on the horse. Do you have anything like that? Um, I mean, my pity party usually lasts a little bit longer. Um, and, and to be fair, I haven't gotten that many reviews, period, good, mm-hmm. bad, or indifferent, um, just because of where I've presented my stuff. Um, and with my theater company, I don't invite uh, critics to come oh. because it's more of a workshop of celebrating the work as opposed to we need to get critics to get more people to show up. Right. Um, so in that respect, I haven't gotten that many reviews. Okay. But um, it's been... With a couple, everything's been positive so far, which has been exciting. Yeah, everything I've read about your your two pieces has been has been really really positive. Yeah. So that's great. Thank you. Yeah, because you know those, those those can be a little tough to take, but you know what? Uh, I always tell myself at least you're in a position to where you're getting them. Because, you know, there was a time in my life where it's like, I really wish I had a show that could right. be reviewed. And, you know, so you have and to believe me, I've been on the giving end of some quote unquote bad reviews. Um, so I, I understand where people have their pity parties. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it helps you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you have your pity party and you get over it and you look at it and you take it apart and you say, OK, how can I make this better? then it helps you. There's a certain maturity. As long as there's something constructive to take away from the review, yeah. then it's a respectable review. If there's not, and they're just bashing you to bash you, you have to wonder, is it a real review? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Well, enough talking about reviews. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, now, you grew up, and you were born, and you grew up in Maha? Mawa. Mawa. Okay, Mawa, New Jersey. Yes. I'm still a, a new East Coaster. Um, and then you went to school in Boston? Correct. Okay. And um, you, in addition to being a playwright, well, in school you, you got a degree in stage management. Yes. Okay. And you've worked with some 
you've stage managed on some pretty significant uh, productions. Signature's revival of Angels in America, uh, original productions of Annie Baker's Circle Mirror Transformation, Bruce Norris's Clybourne Park. Um, What was that like? I was very fortunate um, at an early age to be introduced to the world of theater, but I never was someone who wanted to ever be on stage. Um, I never found myself to be necessarily the creative type. Um, so in high school, um, my English teacher who took over the drama department was like, you should be our stage manager. I had no idea what that meant. Um, but it really defined the rest of my life. Um, so I went to school at Boston University for stage management. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really one of the best programs in the country. Um, it allowed me to meet some incredible people. Um, which then gave me the opportunities to come to New York and work on these incredible productions. Um, It was in college, I was like, what about writing? Everyone else is doing it, let me see if I can do it. I, because of how my schedule was set up, I was never able to take a writing class in college. The way I learned to write was being in the room with these writers. So I watched Annie Baker develop uh, Circle Mirror in the room. I watched Bruce Norris um, work on uh, Clyburn Park in the room. And that was really a master class in its own right. So that's all happening. And then I'm starting to do the reviewing and I'm learning to write by seeing. And it's really been a great opportunity. And yeah, I would absolutely re- recommend writing classes to people who want to um go and get feedback but no one's really going to tell you how to write mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's stage management is really a been a very necessary skill for me to be the artist that I am today great it's I've had you, when you as a stage manager you have to be able to know how to communicate with every single person in a production definitely and that allows you to have a perspective on every single aspect of a production and that's why I think I'm able to, as a theater critic, write about the things I do in the way I do. And as a writer, to be able to see things in a different lens. What? And uh, how overwhelmed were you being in the room with Annie Baker and Bruce Norris? Because I, I would nerd out. I really Well, would. I mean, to be fair... Working with Annie this on Circle Mirror, this was before she was what we know as Annie Baker today. Right, this the was flick and, this yeah. was her premiere basically. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it was a really cool experience. And then being a part of that process where we like had our first couple of previews and we're like, oh my god, it's two hours and there's no intermission and people are literally stuck in this room, mm-hmm. but they're loving it. They're loving it, and we get extended and extended and another extension. And watching her shine was really something rewarding. Um, and again, with Clybourne Park, I'm sitting in the room, I'm like the script PA, so I'm like tracking all the changes. Never in my wildest imagination did I think that this play was going to win the Pulitzer. And I, if I can go back in time, I'd love to be able to be a fly on the wall and see how I really experienced all those um, processes. But it, it was quite amazing to be able to say I worked on those shows. Wow. And what's great is that both of those writers have two completely different writers' voices. Um, now, I, Annie Baker, I've, I've only seen the flick. And she creates a psychology in her audience with the anticipation of the next line. Yep. And I thought that that was really cool to watch. I really did. Uh, it took me a while to, to figure out why, why are there big pauses between the lines? And that's what she's doing. Um, she's making you think your mm-hmm. own thoughts of it, and it's, which is terrific. And then uh, Bruce Norris with Clybourne Park, completely different writer's there's, voice. There's no chance to breathe. I know, right? That just keeps going. I fucking love that play. It's an incredible play. Oh my god, I saw that in uh, and when we lived in L.A. in L.A. at the uh, Mark Taper, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This with the original cast." With the original cast, yeah, it was before it came here, 
because it, it it was weird because typically it will come here. It was well, started off in so Chicago. I, well, um, I had worked on the playwrights version of it. Oh, okay. Um, and then it went to L.A. before going to Broadway. Okay, so I think didn't it start in Chicago? I'm not did sure. It, did it start in Chicago? I want to say maybe it, it maybe started in Chicago because I know mm-hmm. that uh, Bruce Horst is from Chicago. Right. And it takes place, obviously, in Chicago and Clyburn Park. And then um, I know that I, before it went to Broadway itself... Right. It was in L.A. It was in L.A., and we saw it, and I was, like, totally blown away. I actually interviewed on my show, on this show, uh, a lady who was an understudy for Clyburn Park and the Broadway production for all of the... Um, uh, or, or for one of the... Uh, for a handful of the, of the female parts... Her name is Carly Street, and she loved doing it. Yeah. And, and you know what? I so, 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 so want to go backstage and watch that uh, intermission transformation happen. It was quite the choreography. Ah, believe me, it was... We took, I think, about four hours of tech just to do that intermission change, because it's a lot. Oh, I'm a sure. A lot of things happen. And when... Because I worked on it at Playwrights Horizons... Um, it's not the biggest backspace space, and there are a lot of set pieces that you have to put somewhere um, in uh, at intermission for Act Two because there's nothing on stage. Oh, I know. But yeah. in Act One, everything's on stage, so it was really um, a great experience. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no doubt. That's that, that's really cool. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um, okay, so let's. Let me go ahead and ask you some of the questions that I ask everybody. Sure. In my interview. Um, here. Of all the hats that you wear, what do you consider to be your forte or your specialty? I, I like to say that my best and favorite hat to wear is the one of collaborator. Okay. Um, I like the use of the word collaborator because you're working with someone to create something um and i've been really relishing that word um now working a little bit in the drag world um with some incredible drag queens that i'm getting to collaborate with and helping them develop their characters and their numbers and their looks and everything and it's it's something beautiful that not everybody can do not everyone's a good collaborator Oh, this is very, very true. Some people have a really hard time um, uh, collaborating. Now, let's 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 do a little offshoot of that. You work quite often, from what I can see on your uh, social media, with the drag world. Yes, it's um, kind of a well. I guess it's almost it's about a year old that I've been introduced into the world, into the world of drag. Um, last year, Vincent Cooper, who is a um, nightlife producer, promoter, um, he invited me to judge the season two finale of Lady Liberty, um, which is New York's biggest uh, drag pageant. Um, He invited me to be one of the judges for this finale, and at that time, I had just gotten into the world of RuPaul's Drag Race. I had reviewed a couple of the queens who had gone through the Lori Beachman I didn't know much about the drag world, and it was eye-opening. So I judged that, and then I came back to judge the season three finale um, in December. And then when he decided to restructure the format a little bit, he brought me on to be one of the resident judges for season four of Lady Liberty, which meant I was there for a good ten or so weeks watching ten queens every single week do their thing, and I really fell in love with the community aspect of it. Yeah, it's still entertainment and people are competing for the prize and to get recognized and get gigs and stuff, but there's something more 
familiar about it. There's right. something... There, it's a community because many of the performers are gay or trans. Mm-hmm. And we've all had a shared experience that we celebrate within this community. And that's why I've really started to fall in love with the drag scene. That's terrific. It is really its own family. Yeah. You know, and... Um, <clears throat> One of the characters in, in At the Flash, I don't like to talk about At the Flash too much. Uh, it's a character named Miss Sparkle, and she's she is a a drag mother to uh, one particular drag queen in the show. But um, do you, do you find that a lot of these older drag queens that you're uh, um, drag artists, I should say, are that, that you're working with that, that they have that drag mother? Um, position there. So it's, what's interesting is a lot of the um, performers that I'm friendly with, collaborate with, whatever. They're they are younger. Ah. There's a lot of younger performers out there, especially the ones who are really putting themselves out there night after night, competition after competition. Um, and some of them have the their drag mothers. Some of them did it on their own and are learning through their peers and yeah there are some uh who drag queens who are younger who have their own uh drag babies but it's really um it's, it's really interesting to see how drag race has really informed drag in the mainstream right now oh yeah i i totally agree um RuPaul has deserved uh, his Emmy. I don't know if he won an Emmy this year. Did he win an Emmy? Yes. Yes, he did. Excellent. He's deserved both of his... I've often said that he should win a Nobel Prize because he really took a, a faction uh, of society and brought it to the forefront and said, this is, this is a... Uh, you may say this is a marginalized version of society. I say no. And I say, these are people, and I'm going to show them as people and um, make sure that everybody sees that. And he's done so many great things with, with Drag Race and having, like, straight guys come in and having them dress in drag. I think yeah. that's, that's always one of my favorite episodes. Um, Me too. So, so I totally agree with you. Now, you are going to be... You are working with a production called Drag Array... Yes, so I am producing that under Theater in the Now, um, mostly because I don't like to use my name as a producer. Um, So it's Theater in the Now presents uh, Drag Array at the Metropolitan Room on September 26th. Right. Um, I am very lucky and very fortunate to be working with three incredible young drag queens um, who are going to spend the night singing some amazing show tunes. Now, it's Bijou... Bijou. Cherry Poppins. And Vanadu. Vanadu. Oh, Vanadu. Okay. I, am I overly Frenching the name? I'm yes. sorry. Vanadu. Um, <laughs> like Xanadu. Right, like Xanadu. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and, and I was telling you earlier that I was I'm reading their their bios, and they're hilarious. Yes. Uh, and I'm going, actually. And I, I'm, I'm really, really excited about it. And you'll, you'll give that information at the end Absolutely. of the show. Okay. So... That is terrific. All right, great. Uh, back to the interview here. Um, are there any particular messages and themes that speak strongly to you in the projects you select or you write? Or I very much, when I write, like to consider myself a storyteller. So if there's some story that I want to tell, that's what I'm going to tell. Um, I know some people have tried to pigeonhole me as someone who mostly writes in gay themes, and that's fine. It just happens to be the stories in the moment that I want to tell. Okay. Um, I love and also fascinated by human relationships, whatever they may be, and I very much take care of my characters, and I want to know that I know everything about the person and their relationship with the person they're talking to. Um, so I like to call myself a rela- relationship playwriter. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I I wouldn't uh, call the Gory Girls uh, a gay 
theme no, story. No, mo- mo- most of my straight plays, uh, no pun intended, are happen to have the gay themes in it. Right. Um, like the illusory adventures of a dreamer um, was definitely the gay themes. Um, some of the other plays that I've written and produced have fallen into that as well. Oh, okay. All right, great. Uh, well, you do write really, really very, very thorough characters. Thank you. Uh, from from what I've seen. Um, what do you think is an important direction theater is taking right now? Um, I mentioned it before, and it's I think it's an incredible risk, um, is that we're allowing the audience to get into the action a little bit, and I'm really excited by this world of immersive theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I think feel like audiences get bored easily nowadays and if there's not something to engage them that they'll as we, many people have seen fall asleep right in their seats <laughs> um, so if you're engaging them in an immersive experience there's no opportunity for that and I think I've been able to see and experience some of the most terrifying theatrical experiences of my entire life through immersive theater but they've also been some of the most exciting and thought-provoking things I've ever seen. We'll talk about them. Tell me, give me an example. Well, I mean, I, I would call it immersive light based on what we saw on Broadway, but I think one of my favorite things I've ever seen is Natasha Pierre and the Great Com of 1812. Such a great show. Um, I think that is going to be the future of theater. It's, um, it was a really important show. It unfortunately closed for unfortunate reasons um, right. but I remember seeing it in uh, the meatpacking district off Broadway sure. um, a couple years ago and walking out of there being like this is this is it this is what we all have to strive to do um, and like the moment that I really will always remember is during the feud and they have this big rave dance party scene and being in this theater the entire room is having the strobe light effect. And yeah, some people like don't want to look at that, so they look away. There was nowhere to look, and that for me was so exciting to be like, I am there with these people. Mm-hmm. I am partying, raving with them, and it was really one of my favorite experiences ever. Um, the other show that I really loved, um, which closed, the, I guess, this year... Uh, was The Grand Paradise, which was produced by Third Rail, which was an immersive experience out in Brooklyn, uh, where basically you were transported to this resort and got to watch this family um, be tempted by temptation. And, yeah, it was one of those experiences, kind of like Sleep No More, where you were brought into different rooms or you followed certain characters. Um and there's not much dialogue in it, but the storytelling and when you are in those one-on-one moments and you do hear the dialogue finally, it really, really hit me and it really got me excited that this is still theater and I'm, I'm in it in a different way. Wow. Now, when you're in those theatrical situations, are you okay with participation or do you like the fourth wall? And that, that's what's fascinating. It's like, I, when, if I'm going to see... A show where there is a proscenium and someone pops out of me, I'm not usually okay with that. Yeah. Um, which is why sometimes there, there are moments like I will pass on solo shows because I don't want that interaction. Right. Um, but when I know that I'm volunteering for the interaction, I'm I let it happen. Um, like, I, I remember seeing as a kid, you're in town, being in the front row, being, oh, we're in the front row. And then all of a sudden they jump off stage. I'm like, I don't like this anymore. I don't wow. want to be here. Yeah. Um, but when you set something up as immersive and let the audience know this is going to happen, I'm okay with it. Oh, okay, good. Now, I, I loved Natasha Pierre and The Great Comet. I thought that was such a great show. And I saw it from three different locations. Um, I saw it on the... I didn't... I saw the Broadway version. I unfortunately didn't get to see any of the other versions because I didn't live here at the time and it wasn't playing when I came out here for a trip. But I digress. Anyways, um, I saw it from the Banquettes 
up against on the stage. I saw it from a table on a stage, and then I also saw it from the uh, the last row of the balcony because I wanted to see the lights. I thought the lights of that show were incredible. And the thing that I liked about it was I had three completely different experiences, yep. which doesn't usually happen. I mean, you can have a, a completely different experience from a regular proscenium show sitting on the front row and then sitting in the back row of the, the, the mm-hmm. furthest balcony, but not not by much. No. You know, you might just lose a little bit. But Yeah, I always feel, and I, don't, I guess I experienced and felt this way as I was growing up and seeing as much theater as I did. When you sit in the orchestra, you're experiencing the story with them. When you're sitting in um, the mezzanine balcony, you're watching the story happen. And I think you get different perspectives on shows. I mean, I, I, I saw Spring Awakening eight times. Um, really? I love that show. Oh my gosh, I saw it once. <laughs> I, but I loved it, though. It was one of my favorite shows ever. But I had seen it from the orchestra. I had seen it from um, the mezzanine, and both gave me very different experiences. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, I saw that show twice because I saw the revival, mm-hmm. and I love the revival, the Deaf West version. It was stunning. Oh my god! I saw it like the very first night of previews, and I was like, it was one of those where like the lights go black, and you're like, oh my god! Like you actually literally say something out loud, like theater nerd that I am. Um, uh, yeah, very, very, very definitely you will have different uh, reactions. Although I always try to get the best ticket I can. <laughs> and I always, try to sit, I always try to sit on an aisle because I'm a big guy and it makes me feel more, more comfortable. Um, okay, what do you think is the best part of being involved with smaller productions? I feel like the best part of being involved in smaller productions is the... Again, kind of like with the drag world, it's this uh, family of creating something with these scrappy young artists who want to make something. Right. Um, Because once money is involved, it's a different beast. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily about the art anymore. Um, When you're working on these smaller, quote-unquote, indie projects, you're really doing it out of the passion and love that you have for the work. Wow. That is actually a very, very common answer. Um, that, that once you infuse money, it, it becomes um, a little more political. Yes. Um, maybe one or two more egos get involved, or one or two egos get involved. Absolutely. <laughs> and a lot of people really like that when they're working in a smaller, uh, with a smaller group of people, that they they see and deal with those people all the time. And the bigger it gets, the less that they're, you know, touching the other elements of the work. So very, 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 very popular answer. Um, what should every theatrical artist, writer, director, actor, technician be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? You need to put yourself out there. You need to show up. You need to make people know you exist. Um, I can't tell you the amount of times where I will throw on Facebook, I have an extra ticket to a show, and no one will take it. Showing up and seeing and is half the battle. Um, I think it's very important to see what's out there, even if it is a small indie theater project in a black box in a basement in um, the Lower East Side. You have to go see something to see what's out there and you never know who's going to be there you never know who you're going to meet and that could be your next connection to set up your entire future that is so smart that just putting yourself out there is is so smart and connections connect always and be connected i hate schmoozing with people it's it's not one of my favorite things to do um and there are people who like can make a living off of that and get their um projects off of schmoozing and they're not necessarily the most talented but having the talent of being able to talk and to make people feel like they want to work with you you deserve it if you if you get the gig wow wow that's that's really smart now i'm going to be honest with you i've seen those posts on facebook and there have been times when i'm like you know i really really want to go and i should take them up on it but i don't want to come across as too needy 
I always feel like that. I always feel like, am I, am I, am I coming on too strong? So in the future, I'm going to take you up on some and of those. And every, everybody listening, if you're friends with me on Facebook and I offer tickets, take it. Oh, okay. To- that's why I post it up there. Oh, okay. Because um, also it's like I get a second free ticket that I want. It, again, it's, it's getting an audience and it's getting reaction. It's getting feedback. Um, and there have been times where some of the best conversations I have are with people I go see theater with, and we debate about the shows. I remember I went to see The Christians at, uh, at Playwrights Horizons, and me and my friend got into a huge fight wow. over that play. And, yeah, we, it, everything worked out fine, but okay. it w- I wouldn't have had that experience in that conversation had I not had someone to go with. The interviewer in me wants to know all about that fight, but we can leave it at that <laughs> if you want. <laughs> okay, in the future, I'm totally taking you up yes, on please. it. Okay. I'm always very, very aware of, am I coming on too strong? Because I have a tendency to do that. So, um, okay, terrific. Now, before I ask you what you're working on that's new and for you to give me your social media information, do you want to do a speed round with me? Sure. Okay. Let's do it. All right. What's your favorite play? Um, oh god, I guess my favorite play I love all of Nikki Silver's plays. I can't pick one. Um, but Nikki Silver is absolutely my favorite playwright. Okay. Alrighty. What's your favorite musical? Spring Awakening. Okay. Eight times, wow. Eight times. Now does that include both productions? Technically it would be nine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seven times on Broadway for the original, one tour, and then the revival, so nine. Okay, great. Wow. Now, I would assume that your favorite writer, which is the next question, would be Nikki Silver. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Who's your favorite director? Um, I am excited by Rachel Chafkin, um, who directed Natasha Pierre, uh, also directed Hades Town. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited by her. Uh, she's someone I definitely would love to work with in the future because um, I think her vision is something I haven't seen before and it's something that excites me wanting to do more immersive style things so she's someone on my list but I've also gotten to work with some incredible directors um, as a writer and as a stage manager I've gotten to be in the room with some really cool people okay great and do you have a mentor? No, I don't. Okay. I don't. Um, I I mean, my theater teacher in high school probably would have been, uh, she passed away in my senior year of college. Uh, Um, Sorry. But she was the closest thing I had to a mentor, and from there, I was my own mentor. Wow. (laughs) That's that's great. Okay, now tell us us about anything new that you're working on. So right now, the big thing is the Drag Array. which is, again, on September 26th at the Metropolitan Room. And you can go to the Metropolitan Room uh, website to purchase tickets. Um, It's $15. There's, I think, some minimum, but everyone drinks at a drag show anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I'm really excited about the Drag Array. Um, The three girls that I have um, are really awesome. They inspire me, and I love them to death. Bijou, Cherry Poppins, and Vanadu are going to be big stars in the drag scene very soon. Terrific. Um, I guess the only other thing that I'm working on is the website, trying to make Theater in the Now come back after a little hiatus because of the musical, but um, those are really my two projects. Excellent. Okay, cool. Uh, Speaking of which, give our audience all of your social media information. Uh, So you can follow... Me slash Theater in the Now on Twitter at Theater in the Now. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Michael B. Block, um, especially if you love drag. I post about that far too often now. Um, and if you want to have me on Facebook, why not? Michael Bradley Block. Okay, great. Now, is there one particular location where people can go and connect to all of that? Uh, you can absolutely find me on Facebook at Michael Bradley Block. Okay, cool. And then all of your other pages that you will be okay absolutely excellent that's terrific well thank you for being with us michael you're having me oh my god you've been great thank you and i've been really 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 wanting it's always interesting for me to be on the opposite side of things because i get to interview so many people 
And I usually don't like talking myself, but sometimes it has it spills out. Okay, good. <laughs> I know I'm the same way. Like people start asking me questions about me, and I'm like, "Who gives a damn? About, I'm an old married man. God, who, who cares about me?" But so, I mean, I know not. And Michael's not. Oh, I don't know if he's married or not. No, but very much single. Yes, he's, he's very a, single, and I still think I'm old, but. No, you're not. No, 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 no. It was a rough year. Rough, rough birthday this past year. Well, when you were telling me that when you were a kid, you saw Urine Town, uh, I think I saw Urine Town at age 34. Okay. So, so, I, I'm, I'm afraid I win. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been really, really cool, and I've wanted to interview you for so long, and Thanks I'm for glad. Me. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that uh, you took the time to. To come and do this. Absolutely. It's been great. Okay, at the end of each show, I like to give shout-outs to current productions worth a recommendation. On tonight's episode, I'd like to recommend a show playing here in New York. It's been a while since I've done that. It's been a lot of uh, regional stuff, and uh, which is great. So, um, It's called Mary Jane, and it's written by Pulitzer Prize finalist Amy Herzog and directed by two-time Obie winner Ann Kaufman. And it stars a phenomenal Carrie Coon last seen on Broadway in a critically lauded performance as Honey in the revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, which I didn't see, but I wish I would have. On TV, she's been in The Leftovers, love that show, and uh, the most uh, recent season of Fargo. And in movies, she gave a breakthrough performance in in Gone Girl as Ben Affleck's ultra-emotional sister. She was very neurotic, and I loved it. Now, a description of the play is this. During a rain-drenched summer in New York City, an indefatigable uh, single mother navigates the mundane, shattering, and sublime aspects of caring for a chronically sick child. Now, I don't want to give away too much, but I will say this. Carrie Coon is an actress that can just live on stage. Um, she is... She, there's absolutely no awareness of the audience in her performance. And, and don't take that the wrong way. She's just in the moment and in control at the same time and it's like a a wonder to watch that's not an easy dichotomy for an actor to achieve Um, she's a wonder to see and you should take this opportunity to do so um, if you can Uh, the supporting cast of actors play multiple roles with absolute differentiation and complete believability the writing is impeccable I lost my awareness of the mechanics of writing which um, when I forget to think about the writing that's happening that's when I know it's good because I'm also a writer and so I'm always look, like looking at the writing or listening for it. Uh, the direction flows beautifully and Kaufman gets exquisite performances from everyone. Um, an awesome set that blew me away at one point. I thought it was really cool. Now I won't tell because that would be a spoiler but it's, it's really neat. Um, the show runs until October 15th and it's playing at the New York Theater Workshop uh, which is where Hadestown ran. Um, and it's... There's a super nice staff, by the way, at the New York Theater Workshop. I always say that your front of the house staff is really, really makes a huge difference. So, anyways, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, visit www.nytw.org for tickets and information. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the vows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guests, the amazingly talented and prolific, very prolific, Michael Bradley Block. You were great. Thank you very much, Michael. You were so wonderful. Um, you can find more episodes of Your Program Is Your Ticket at facebook.com backslash Your Program Is Your Ticket. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Program Ticket. The website is, you guessed it, yourprogramisyourticket.com. I'm on iTunes, and I'm also on SoundCloud. So go there, rate me, write me a review. I'd really appreciate it. Um, I can take it too as well. I did sort of tip my hand about reviews today, but I really can't take it if you put, put a review on there. And it helps me too. Anyways, folks, take a little time to show to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's lots of theater gems out there. And until our next show, good night, dear people. And Kurt. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org, because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.